Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Paul Garcia Show, the show where I speak to remarkable people from throughout the state of Illinois about their incredible lives, experiences, and insights. Today, it's my pleasure to be speaking with a living legend in the sport of wrestling. He's the first and currently only undefeated four-time Illinois state champion with a career record of 177 wins and zero losses. He's a four-time Division I NCAA qualifier for the University of Northern Iowa, where he accumulated over 100 victories under head coach Doug Schwab and now he's the assistant wrestling coach at Dakota High School as well as the proud founder of Albert Athletics where he's helped create multiple state and national champions and he's also the founder of Albert and Son Earthworks a thriving excavation company and he's also a husband and father. Josh thank you so much for coming on man I appreciate you making the time in your busy schedule to do this. No I appreciate you giving me time and, and a voice to hopefully get heard by some people. Heck yeah, it's my pleasure. And before we begin, though, before we kick things off, I should say, if you enjoy this episode, please like it, share it, comment on it, and be sure to like my page on Facebook and subscribe on YouTube. If you want to support this show, you can donate on Venmo to The Paul Garcia Show, and or you can become a patron on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia, where you'll get early access to each and every episode for as little as $1 a month. Okay, with all that said, again, Josh, thank you for coming on, and Tell me more about this excavation company. I only just learned about it, and it sounds pretty crazy. Yeah, so uh, when I got back from college, it would have been 2019. Um, I started working for my dad right away in a trucking company, and um, you know it was, it was good for me, but I didn't really enjoy it. I thought it was kind of boring, and <laughs> uh, you know I've always enjoyed heavy equipment and things like that, so... Um, slowly started to branch into landscaping, small excavation type stuff. And, um, we've been growing little by little here in the last, you know, two years and, um, just starting to, to get into more different kinds of work and things like that. And, um, I enjoy it, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun and I take a lot of the lessons I learned as a wrestler and, and they're valuable in, in the business world as well. Dude, it is absolutely obvious that the work ethic you had in wrestling is carrying over to the business world. The first 15 minutes you were here, you were on the phone nonstop with guys saying, hey, you need gravel. Hey, I can go send a guy here to get you that gravel today. Then you're calling your dad. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what was going on, but it seemed chaotic. But it's just cool to see. It's cool to see how busy you stay and to see that work ethic that I respected in wrestling channeled over into the business world. It's very Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. And, uh, I recently saw a quote, I don't know who it was by, but it was, and I don't even really remember the quote, but it was just talking about lazy people work a little bit and think that they are done and, and, uh, hard, like people with hard work ethics work really hard and still think they're not working hard enough. And that just, that makes me think of my dad, um, and my, my mom as well. Like, you know, compared to them, I'm lazy to be honest. So, um, just trying to keep up with him puts me in a good position. He's, he's an extremely hard worker and, I just try to follow in his footsteps. You know, it's really refreshing for me to talk to other wrestlers. I'm, I'm a lifelong wrestler, but I, I was by no means a Division One caliber wrestler. I didn't have that mindset. I'm not cut from the exact same cloth. But it's refreshing because I hear wrestlers like you, former wrestlers like you, talking about how it's okay to really freaking work hard. And there's this weird thing in society right now where there's a lot of people saying, hey, be easy, take a rest day, take a break, be nice to yourself, self-love. And like, yeah, be nice to yourself, I guess, but it's it sounds like they're smuggling in this incentive to be a little lazy. Mm-hmm. And I like hearing people say, no, you know what, it's okay to work freakishly hard. Yeah, and uh, 
I mean, with my dad, if if I am sleeping past six thirty in the morning, he's calling me, you know, like I'm wasting the day already. So just things, little things like that, waking up early. But um, I've actually been thinking a lot about um, in wrestling. It seems kind of along the same lines. There's this like just have fun attitude and having fun's the most important thing. And Penn State. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's 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 frustrating, not frustrating, but confusing because these Penn State guys say just have fun and this and that, but I guarantee the amount of work they put in is they don't, they're not talking as much about that and, and the hard times, but they're going through adversity and hard times and things. And, uh, you know, I just, I kind of go against the grain on this, especially with, cause I coach youth wrestlers and, you know, you're not going to have fun if you're getting your ass kicked, mm-hmm. you know? So when we go to a tournament and I hear other coaches or parents like, oh, just have fun, buddy. You know, just go let it fly. It's like, no, he's not going to have fun if he loses 10-0 and he's getting his face rubbed into the mat, you know? So fun is, that's a tricky word. You know, what is fun? Fun, winning's a lot of fun, you know? And and even a, a good loss where you're wrestling somebody that is visibly better than you and you and you take it, you know, push push them, you know, that's fun. But, um, yeah, we, we run a little too heavy on the oh just have fun type type thing when it's you know we need to to do our best to win and, and to work hard so that because you're 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 not gonna have fun losing 10-0 or or losing to kids that really aren't that good you know so um I think I kind of I'm, I'm with you there I go against the grain a little bit on the the have fun or you know give yourself a little too much rest you mm-hmm. know attitude dude yeah you are you're firing me up right now you are absolutely speaking my language mm-hmm. and with the Penn State guys you know Roman Bravo Young Bo Nickel these guys saying have fun we just go have fun bullcrap mm-hmm. that's what they say on the cameras and you know Kale Sanderson's a little secretive anyway well He's I mean I've, the- I've wrestled uh you know I wrestled Nick Lee twice when I was in college and he beat me both times and I guarantee he had more fun than me because he was winning those <laughs> matches, you know. So it's like, yeah, you, you guys, I bet you're having a lot of fun winning uh, national titles and stuff, you know. So, um, but yeah, I'm not saying they're wrong. Obviously, they're the, they're Kale's a genius, but um, I think there's more to it than they're not just having fun. They're they're they. I think they enjoy what they're doing. I think they enjoy the hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that their training's probably a little different, and just the mentality of. You know, they're doing something where stress and pressure doesn't seem to have much of an effect on them. And I think having fun in that way is is critical for them. You know, they don't they still have fun in the big moments, meaning they're not weighed down. But, you know, they're not necessarily have fun in the sense of they don't care. You know, they, Mm. they care a lot. Right. And I think maybe the have fun, I should clarify, I think that the have fun comes into play when they've they finally get to let it loose and let it fly on the mm. mat when it comes yeah. match time. Right. I guarantee practices are not all fun. Mm. You see little leaked videos of them playing like handball and stuff yeah. like that or spike ball, whatever. Yeah. And But you know that some of the battles in there, I'm sure fists are flying and they're just drenched in sweat. They're cutting weight. It's like yeah. they're not having all <laughs> right. fun. Right. Yeah, cutting weight, that's definitely not fun. So, uh, yeah, I, there's more to it for sure. But like you said, Kale's secretive and – I would be too if if uh, winning was my job, and it, you know, I'd, I wouldn't want to give give away my secrets for sure. <laughs> I'd like to know what he's doing so I could start implementing it with my club kids. Right, and I want to talk about your club and, and your coaching philosophies all in just a little bit. But first, we might as well kind of go in chronological order here. Mm-hmm. I know your dad. 
got into wrestling kind of to avoid milking cows in the evening when he was in high school. And he went on to win a state title with his brothers who also Mm. each won a a state title as well. But tell me about Josh Albers' story. How did you get started in wrestling? I wouldn't even be able to tell you because I... My dad started me before I probably have memories, you know, <laughs> when I was that young. Uh, I, I, I've seen the pictures of, of my first couple matches, and I had tennis shoes on, and my singlet was taped in the back because it was too big. They took the straps and pulled them together and taped it, and that's the singlet I wore. I might have had a diaper on under my singlet. I'm not sure, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was started really young, and and uh, I don't remember a life without wrestling, you know, so... Um, I don't have like one of those moments where like, yeah, this is the, my first practice. I remember, I don't remember my first practice. I probably started practicing when I was three years old, Hmm. you know? So what do you remember about how your dad or how your coaches coached you? Were there any, do you have any memories of that? Like what kind of things were they telling you? How did they develop that championship mindset? What can you tell me about all that? You know, it's really not, it's really not fair to a certain extent when, um, you know, my, my dad was a state champion, two of my uncles, I, he has three brothers and two of, two of them, won state, uh, my older cousin Vince won a state title. Um, so I had a very unfair advantage compared to most kids. You're just born into it. They obviously have things figured out technically in wrestling pretty well. And, um, they work extremely hard and they, you know, I just had a head start when, I got started younger and I was learning techniques faster and I put in more time, you know, we, they don't, we're not a hunting family. We're not a fishing family. We're a wrestling family. And that's what our hobby is. You know, we put so much time into it. And at the end of the day, I just had a lot more time into it than most of the guys I was wrestling. Um, so it, it was really unfair. I would say, <laughs> uh, being born into a family like that, you know, you're gonna, it, how do you not get, you know, very good at wrestling when that's your, pedigree i guess you know mm-hmm. i heard you say on the wrestling change my life podcast which by the way shout out to ryan warner that's his name right yeah ryan, ryan. you're the king of wrestling podcasts i am not challenging yeah. you your your stuff is awesome and i appreciate it a lot i've listened to probably hundreds of episodes but anyway i heard you say on that episode that in the albert family if you're a if you're a male and you don't wrestle you're kind of a black sheep has yeah. anyone in your family not wrestled that's a male yeah i've had a couple of cousins and we tease them you know <laughs> it's in good fun like right. it's not we don't like actually look down on them or anything but you know it, you tease them a little bit and um but i understand them not wanting to wrestle either because they kind of want to do their own thing Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not good or bad. It is what it is. But, yeah, it's we like to tease them if they don't wrestle. They had to have been thrown into the sport at least for a couple of years when they were really little, right? Like, that's not a choice. Yeah, I think they're even the ones that didn't end up wrestling their whole time, I think they probably did at least a year or two when they were kids. But mm-hmm. there might be one that didn't. He got, he got lucky and <laughs> he, he snuck out or something. But That's yeah. hilarious. Well, what do you think about not forcing – but for lack of a better term, forcing your kids to do at least a couple years of wrestling. I know that's not a popular take in, in popular culture among parents, you know, to force your kids to do a sport. But I think when it comes to wrestling, this is just my opinion, I'll probably make my kid, especially if he's a boy, do at least a year, maybe five yeah. <laughs> of right. wrestling. Yeah, my dad used to joke around. I, there was a time when I wanted to quit, probably sixth grade or something. I don't know. That time when you actually have to work hard. You know, you're not just better than everyone anymore, and you have to work for it. I think I, probably there was a time where I wanted to quit in there, and he's like, "Yeah, you can quit just as soon as you turn 18 and move out of the house." So, <laughs> you know, that's uh, that's kind of the attitude we have, and you know, I don't want to be like one of these crazy, uh, 
crazy dads, obviously. And mm-hmm. it, to a certain extent, if you force your kid to do everything, they're not going to get out of it what they will. You know, you got to try to build in them that it's their choice. And even if it's not their idea, make them think it's their idea, you know, so fool them into like it being their idea. So with my son, you know, I'm, I'm going to really, he's going to be around wrestling. He's going to, I'm going to take him to watch college matches and things so that I'm doing that on purpose, obviously to Mm -hmm. make, build that, um, interest in him, but he doesn't know that, you know, it's just something that he does. So, um, I want to do as much as I can to make it his idea, but then if he really does buck me in the end, well, it's probably too bad. He's going to have to wrestle. (laughs) That's a, spoken yeah. like a true wrestler. What would you what would you expect from a guy like you, the four time undefeated state <laughs> yeah. champ in Illinois? Of course, it's just yeah, he's gonna have to do it for a little. Yeah, while. I mean, and and it's not you know obviously I'm gonna try anything we do. We try to do it the best we can, and we want to be the best in the state first, and then try to be the best in the country. And then if he's good enough to do that, be the best in the world. But you know, even if he doesn't end up being extremely high caliber it's good for him regardless you know mm-hmm. all all walks of wrestling are good for you whether you're a jv wrestler you know varsity division one i think it's good for you i think it teaches you a lot and it and it teaches you a little bit of delayed gratification and self-discipline and doing things that sometimes you don't really want to do and you got to push through those things so um you know, it's just, it's good for it. It's good for you to wrestle, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. man. It is, I would even take a step further and say it's crucial. It's imperative. Mm-hmm. If you if you wrestle, you have a leg up on a lot of other people in life. I mean, it's, even for a guy like me who wasn't incredibly serious about wrestling. I mean, I was very serious. I wanted to be good, but like the success wasn't theirs. High school and college wrestler. But when you go out into the real world and you work with other people, you see things such as, Giving up is way more common. Mm. To give up earlier on a given task and to complain is way more common than you would expect if you grew up in a wrestling room. And it's it's not sickening. It's actually a point of pride in a mm. way. It makes you glad that you, you grew up a wrestler. And mm. on a deeper note, to wrestle, I mean life, the word Israel in the Bible, it, it translates to to wrestle with God. Yeah. And really, life is a wrestling match. It's yeah. your, you have a goal and you're trying to manipulate the world and your life and your decisions into such a way that you bring about the, the goal that you have. And that's a struggle. It's not a dance. It's a yeah. struggle and you've got to be tough. Yeah. I, I try not to downplay the other sports. You know, obviously, I love watching all sports, even basketball I love to watch. But, um, you know, you can joke around too. I didn't. I've never read in the Bible about basketball or football. Or <laughs> Jacob didn't play God in a game of hoops, <laughs> right? You know, and and the other thing too is like you, it's cliche, but you don't play wrestling. It's it is a struggle. It is like a battle. So, um, and you know, I don't, I don't know if there's any state where like boxing is a mm-hmm. state sport. So really, wrestling is the only like mixed martial art that you can compete in in high school, right? Sanctioned. You know what I'm saying? So, um, that's wrestling is different than the other sports in the fact that it's it's a combat sport. It's a mixed martial art that you can compete in in high school where you don't get to do that in, in like boxing or whatnot. So it is a lot different than the other sports when it comes to that. You know, mm-hmm. like really, it's kind of it's kind of crazy that they let. I'm surprised in the world we live in today, you can even wrestle in high school, mm-hmm. sanctioned by like the IHSA or whatnot, because it is a lot more brutal of a sport than a lot of the other ones. Oh yeah, when you get two solid guys wrestling each other, yeah. it looks like a fight without 
obvious punches. Yeah. There's still hard cross faces. Yeah, and uh, there's wrestling techniques where you're trying to, like, choke the guy a little bit. Or, oh, yeah. or you know, and I always say, like, hand fighting was one of my strong suits, I thought, and I call it clubbing. You know, I'm I'm not – I club you. You know, it's, it's a borderline punch every time I want to put my hands on you. So, you know, it is kind of astonishing that we still get to do that in high school. I know, but yeah. I'm so grateful for it. I and, am too. <laughs> and I think society would actually be better. Like I've, I've thought hard about this. I think society would be a lot better because a lot of young men, in fact, it's almost a, I want to say it's a growing number of young men are doing really crazy things in school because they have no outlet for their aggression. Mm. Yeah. Like it or not, young boys are going to have wild aggression. Give them an outlet for Pete's sake. Yeah, I mean, and we see it with this uh, like Adderall epidemic. You know, mm-hmm. it's not girls getting put on Adderall. It's not little girls. You know, I'm sure there are. But if you look at the numbers, it's a high percentage of little boys that are put on Adderall. Mm-hmm. And it's because we we don't we don't encourage boys to be boys. We don't encourage like or or understand them like, yeah, they're not meant to sit in a desk for eight hours. Like, you know, little girls are more apt to want to learn that way that the school system is taught. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I'm not making like you need to be disciplined. Like my child is going to listen to their teacher; they're going to do as they're told. But man, we 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 put those guys down. We sit them down for eight hours. We tell them not to move. Tell them not to run around. We tell them not to roughhouse with each other. And man, it's like that's their nature. You know, that's their nature. And when they do go against that, then you got doctors saying, "Oh, he needs Adderall. He needs, you know, it'd, it'd be good." You know, it's like no, they don't. They don't need. They don't need it. it's it's bad it's adderall is a amphetamine you know and we're putting these kids on amphetamines so yeah wrestling would cure a lot of that or just but that's where i don't want to talk bad about the other sports because all sports would be good you know even even the other sports would be great for kids like that they need to they need to do something outside of video games and stuff like that and you know um but that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down but Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think wrestling is an outlet for a lot of kids, and I know friends of mine that have said that that wrestling's like the best thing for them because otherwise they'd be doing a lot worse things. Yes, yeah. and and it's also the individual sport. You know, you reap what you sow. It's all on you. It teaches accountability, unlike other sports can. Again, you know, we talked about boxing. Boxing's great too, but that's not a high school sport. And also, there's something I swear there's something primitive in our DNA about hand to hand combat that just it kind of just feels right. You know, I'm incredibly yeah, biased. It, what do I know? But yeah, it, it fires me up. That's for sure. You know, the, like my most memorable matches were with guys that maybe I knew personally and I knew that they worked like I worked or they had like where I was like, this guy is doing a lot of the same things I'm doing. I know he's he's doing the right things off the mat. So I knew it was going to be a battle. And then he has, the you know, that little bit of chippiness in him too, where he's not going to concede anything mm-hmm. and we'd we'd be wrestling and it would get a little chippy where he's hitting me a little you know we're, a little hard. we're, we're playing that line of and i'm giving him headbutts a little bit or you know and i i love those matches and then at the end of the day you know a lot of guys that i was like that with now i i see him around we shake hands and we talk for 20 minutes but when it's when it's go time you know it's, it is fun to fight i oh. love to fight oh it is fun yeah. to fight for sure fun to fight for me in a in a wrestling sense mm-hmm. like you know i i don't know how fun it would be to just start throwing elbows and like yeah. if I got kicked in the head I don't think it'd be that fun no. but when you're in a in a wrestling match honestly it can really just become an actual fight in a wrestling room yeah. that is fun to get a club to the back of the head that is I mean from downtown mm-hmm. whack it makes you feel alive yeah to get a hard cross face in the ooh, it's yeah. awesome man. yeah yeah I know I, I love that and 
yeah, I try to get my little guys to understand that, and obviously they don't they don't have as much testosterone flowing and things. But uh, man, I even especially little kids too, you can get them fired up, and they'll they'll get out there and battle, and it's it's fun to watch. It's mm-hmm. fun to be a part of. I love it. You know what's tough though is is getting them back to everyday normal life to go play with other kids because they'll they'll yeah. definitely take their friends down. Their friends will cry, and then yeah. it's weird. Well, that's even a problem. I I mean, I battled with that all the way through learning how to turn that when it's time to turn the switch off. And, you know, there was times where I couldn't turn, turn it off and I'd say things to coaches or family members or friends, right. You know, pretty close after a match or I was thinking about a match and things I regretted because I'm still in that mode where it's like, you know, cause when I would, when I was at my best, I would get myself mentally in that mode where it's, it's like, uh, I don't want to say, I don't know. It's like a, kill them all mentality, I guess, like just destroy, just like, you know, I want to, I want to beat you up mm-hmm. and you need to learn to flip that off as soon as you get off the mat. And that can be, that can get murky sometimes, you know, do you know Jordan Peterson? Yeah. I love him. Okay. Yeah, I love listening to his stuff. Yeah. I've read his books. Um, and one thing that he says that's really true is first of all, you know, the word meek doesn't mean docile and, and wimpy or anything. It actually means to have you know, serious power and to be able to control it. People misunderstand that word when they quote the Bible, you know, to be the meek, blessed are the meek, the whatever, whatever, I don't know what it says. But he says, society kind of wants men to be docile, to not be too authoritative, to not be too aggressive. And he says that's completely wrong. Mm. You should be ruthlessly ambitious. You should be competitive. Mm. You should have insane work ethic. It's all okay. And then you control those things. And that's the test of a good man. A good man is someone is not someone who's harmless and incapable of doing good, but someone who's extremely dangerous and could unleash hell, but controls it. Mm. And I think that's really true. Yeah. I mean, I like to think of it like, you know, it takes a lot to get me there. But once you get me to that point, I'm a different person. You know, I can, I can go to a point where if we get into a confrontation and not like a, like a fight verbally, but if I had to fight for something physically or had to protect my family, if you, it would take a lot to get me into that mode. But if I was in that mode, you know, it's, I'm not going to take it easy. It's, it's all out. And, uh, that's what I like about wrestling. Cause it, it's a little excuse. You got a six minute excuse to kind of get a glimpse of that mode where you can just tee off on somebody. <laughs> figuratively tee off on somebody and and it's okay you mm-hmm. know so i i tell that to my kids i'm like hey you should enjoy this fight you, you you go hit club somebody at school you're getting suspended you know you go do this at school it's it's no good you get you know in a kids match you get four and a half minutes to just be a bully and be a prick and it's encouraged you know enjoy that a little bit and then you got to turn it off when you step off the mat Josh, you're doing a good thing for a lot of young men. I mean, really, your philosophies, this mindset is really what the world needs. And a lot of people are going to listen to this and think, this guy's crazy. They're wrong, dude. Yeah. They're wrong. This, you're, you're speaking to that, that need for aggression, that need to fight that's in these young men. Yeah. And it's going to keep them from doing terrible things elsewhere. And I, I really appreciate it. Yeah. I, uh, Stephen Neal, who was a world champ wrestler, and he also, I think he was two or three times Super Bowl champion for the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Beat Brock Lesnar too. Yeah, didn't he? he's the man. But I, he's a, he's a believer, and um, said something pretty cool. He said his mindset was Old Testament inside the circle. So inside the mat, he was Old Testament. When he was stepped off, he was New Testament. You know, which if you <laughs> if you know the Bible, it's yeah. like man, the Old Testament. It's like they kill everything. The animals like completely destroyed <laughs> mm-hmm. a whole group of people, and then 
New Testament's, you know, a little a little bit more forgiving. So I, I like that a lot. I kind of cling to that. Like, I get to be Old Testament when it's uh, when I got my straps up. That is hilarious. I actually love that quote. Yeah. I'm definitely going to steal it. Hey, before we move on, though, I lost track of time. we got to give a quick shout-out to a beloved local sponsor. That's Fairberry Furniture in Fairberry, Illinois. They are Central Illinois' premier furniture store. Here's a quick word from them. Fairberry Furniture is Central Illinois' premier furniture store. This family-owned business offers a vast selection of premium furniture items from all of your favorite brands, including Sealy, Best Home Furnishings, Leather Italia, Tempur-Pedic, and Ashley, just to name a few. Also inside Fairberry Furniture is the popular WC Market, a beloved shop that offers an ever-changing selection of unique gifts and fashionable home decor. So make your home interior beautiful, comfortable, stylish, and delightful when you shop at Fairberry's own Fairberry Furniture. Come on down to Fairberry Furniture, where the furniture rocks. All right, that's Fairberry Furniture in Fairberry, Illinois, Central Illinois' premier furniture store. So, Josh, we were just talking about, you know, the value of wrestling, but I want to talk a little more about your your upbringing. When did you first really start taking the sport of wrestling seriously and, and recognizing that you really had some potential? I'd, I'd have to say I was probably eight or nine years old. I remember starting to cry after I would lose matches. You know, when I was really young, I didn't. I was just having fun, or and like, I didn't really even know what winning and losing was. When I got a grasp of man, winning's more fun than losing, I started to take it a lot more seriously. And I think my parents saw that in me when I started to realize, and then it gave them the okay to like, okay, we can you know, push him a little harder and put more time into this. You said your dad, it was one of the happiest days of his life, the first time you cried after a match oh, yeah. because he sh- it showed him that you cared. Yeah, there's a picture of me, like, sitting on his lap crying, and he's smiling, and it's like, he still to this day talks about, like, and that's how we kind of judge where our club kids are at, like, when they're ready to push a little more. Is like, well, they, they really don't like losing, so we can push them a little more. We can use that to motivate them, like, hey, you don't want to feel that again, so this is what we got to do to correct that, you know. What kind of mindset did your dad coach you to have? And if there were other coaches, I mean, your, your uncles, I assume you're close to as well. They were also state champions. What were you kind of, what what thoughts and mindsets were being implemented into your young brain? You know, I got to say, I think a mom gets overlooked a lot because mm. most dads, I, I guess I can't say most, all the men in my, that I've been around, they all are similar and very, you know, they can get intense and and be kind of give you the hard hand and stuff. But if you have a mom that your dad gets on you and you, you're crying like a baby and you go to your mom and she babies you, then you kind of alleviate that. But if your dad gets on you and you go to your mom who you expect to baby you and she's like, no, do what your dad said. He's right. Mm-hmm. That's when you can really get tough, I think. Um, the, the moms are, are crucial because there's a lot of times where – Moms coddle their kids, and then if dad says one thing, well, the kid goes to the mom, and it's a different thing. That now mom and dad aren't in unity, and you're not going to get that kid to where maybe they can get. So my mom, not that she was a hard ass, she's a very loving mom, but there was times when she could tell I was being a baby, and I came to her expecting her to take it easy on me, and she said, "No, your dad's exactly right. You need to toughen up." So when and I kind of tease the moms in our club, like, I love it when the moms get on, on the kids because I'm like, now we're getting somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. The, the My mom was crucial to my success. 
Yeah, that's that's very interesting because that means your parents are on the same page. Mm-hmm. That's actually a beautiful thing. Yeah. It's problems can arise when dad's, you know, the tough guy and mom's the antithesis of that. Like you're the opposite and you're raising the same kid. Like you could have some real disagreements and yeah. you know the kids like you know, he doesn't look at his parents, he looks at mom, totally different person, dad, totally different person. But hearing your parents did that, it's actually kind of touching. Yeah, it's a blessing in, in my life that I have parents that were in unity and stuck together. And, um, man, I can't – that's another big advantage I had was just parents in unity that um, they were going to do – they were going to work together, and they were on the same page, and they were going to give to me and my two sisters, you know, what we needed to be successful. And, and that's just a blessing to me. It's most, – most kids these days don't have that. So, you know, I think that's critical. Well, tell me about your two sisters. I didn't even think to ask about that. I think they might go overlooked when, you know, you're talking about, yeah. you come from a wrestling family. Did mm-hmm. did they wrestle? Were they, what no. kind of girls were they? Yeah, we just, I don't know. Um, I don't know why they didn't wrestle. It, well, they're 12 and 10 years older than me. So um, back then, yeah, back then the really, girls wrestling wasn't even really a thing. Um, but yeah, man, they're, my sisters are just as tough as I am. They're, uh. They both actually have, my oldest sister has lupus, and my middle sister, Brittany, has um, MS. So they both have autoimmune diseases, and uh, you wouldn't tell. I mean, they're just, they're tough. They don't complain. They go on living like, you know, there's days where you can tell they're not feeling good, and they you would never know because they're just, they're tough. And uh, like I said, I think they're tougher than me, honestly. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea. That's yeah. that's really cool. What was mm-hmm. what was your home life like? You know, because there's going to be some parents that watch this, and we're talking about you know crazy parents and little kid wrestling. They exist. They're they're very common. But what was your home life like? Because I know that's a difficult thing to kind of get right when you're trying to raise your kids in the best possible way, and maybe maybe raising them to uh, excel in a sport if that's your goal. But what was your home life like? I'm just extremely fortunate. I, you know, I don't have to claim that. Uh, I came up hard, like, lucky, man. Like, we always, I don't remember a time when we didn't have, you know, money or had to, I never had to worry about money or anything. My my dad has made a very good living. And um, just my home life was two parents that loved each other. They loved their kids. Um, they raised us according to biblical principles. They didn't let us get away with, you know, being rude to our elders or, you know, we were supposed to be polite and well-behaved and, you know, and, they did a good job of rewarding us when we did things right and disciplining us when we needed to be disciplined. And I know me and both my sisters t- to this day are, we feel forever indebted to how our, our parents were, how they raised us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm. Did you get spanked when you were a kid? Oh yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not many of the times though. Cause after the first couple, you don't, you know better, you know? So I can't remember a whole lot of times getting spanked. I remember maybe once or twice and I kind of learned my lesson. And you mentioned biblical principles. They raised you according to biblical principles. Were you a, a religious family? Was it church every Sunday type of thing? Um, <clears throat> we have a little different outlook on... We don't necessarily go to a church. I think we, we'd we like to go to a church maybe, but um, we we get together as a family and just kind of do our own thing, you know, read the, read the Bible and pray together as a family. Um, there's a couple on Sundays when I'm not wrestling, we try to get... Uh, some of the men in our area get together and just kind of do our own thing. I don't, we're not part of an organized church or anything, but, um, yeah, my dad is is very, very dedicated to 
getting himself and getting everyone that he loves in the word. And uh, so it's a big part of our lives for sure. Heck yeah. I mean, that's the meaning of life. Get to heaven at yeah. the end of the day and get yeah. other people to heaven. Yeah. So it seems like he's got his, his eyes on the prize. Yeah. Were you ever a part of a church? Just curious. Um, they were before I was born. And uh, You remember what kind of church? Or? Just like a free, like a, I don't even know. One I've, of those non-denominational stuff. Non-denominational, style. yeah. I don't even really, I've never been part of a church system. I've just been part of like reading the Bible on our own and and things like that. So I don't really know all the terms, but mm-hmm. I don't remember going to church much. You're just a, a bare bones Christian. It yeah. seems like you read the Bible, you yeah. do the best you can, mm-hmm. you ponder the stuff, you meet with men and you try to do good in the world. It's it, very interesting. I've never met anyone who's in quite that same situation. Yeah, I think they were they were honestly stung by uh, the church they were going to when I was real young. Mm. The Just some money became an issue in the church and there were some things not some of the people in the church weren't living according to how they should have been living. And I think that put a bad taste in kind of my parents' parents' mouth, and they decided that, you know, maybe we can do it a different way than hmm. necessarily a church. Yeah, man, it's not uncommon to see that type of stuff, especially in churches. Like, I've talked to a lot of uh, religious people on the show, and I've heard a lot about it. I've looked into this type of stuff in the area, but, like, these churches where— no knock on churches that have elders, but a lot of the times when there's like a clear hierarchy mm. with a group of men that are way up high, it's like problems can arise. Well, it, it gets away from what the Bible says to do. I mean, it says to have elders, but people start to view themselves as greater or lesser than each mm-hmm. other. And, and I mean, in the spirit, we're all brothers and sisters and we're all on the same level, you know, and um, people that maybe are new to the faith, they enter and they're right there with people that are have been in the faith for a long time you're not you're not greater than each other you know so i think that it's easy to fall into that trap where or even preachers are um we put them on a pedestal sometimes mm-hmm. when really hey they're they got to see themselves as part of us they got to see themselves as servants like we should see ourselves as servants oh yeah and when the, when that pedestal happens you know goofy things happen in the church right yeah. absolutely now talking about wrestling again you started taking things serious at like eight, nine, ten years old. This is what I thought was really interesting. I heard this again on the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. But you, when you entered high school, you had the goal of being a four-time state champ. I don't know if you also thought four-time undefeated state champ, but you said, if I wasn't a four-time champ, I would consider that a failure. Mm-hmm. Tell me about why you felt that way, why you were so confident, and we'll we'll just start there. Yeah. Um just I had so much exposure as a sixth, seventh, eighth grader as far as like we were wrestling. I was wrestling all over the United States. You know, I was every state I think I've almost been to for a wrestling tournament. Um, so I came into high school with so many matches, so much experience at high levels at tournaments that I thought were harder than the IHSA state tournament. Mm-hmm. So, and that I'd done well at. So it's like, well, if I'm doing well nationally, there's no excuse for me not to to win state four times, you know? Right. Um, so that's just kind of, it was just like, it was like, I've been swinging a bat with a weight on it for all <laughs> these years. I'm about to take the weight off. Like I'm only competing against kids in my state and from small schools. Like it, it's in my eyes, it wasn't fair. You know, I, I knew I had more time in it than them. So it's like it, for me to lose would be not fair. Did you have any close matches that first year then? 
Yeah, my uh, so my uncle is the head coach, and he's kind of notorious for like he tried to get me to lose. I think a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> like in the Dakota room, they're like, if you make it to the state tournament without a loss, we're doing something wrong. Yeah, like our our schedule's not hard enough. Like mm-hmm. our schedule's got to be really hard. So uh, early on, I weighed like a hundred pounds my freshman year, and uh, early in the season, he bumped me up to one twelve uh, in a duel to wrestle uh, Jeremiah Shear. He's from Stillman Valley. So I was a freshman, 100 pounds. He was a senior, 112-pounder. And, I mean, I've heard he was weighing like 30, 31, cutting down to 12. So roughly, you know, it was an hour weigh-in, so he probably only got back up to 20, 21. But, so he was probably 20 pounds bigger than me at the time of the match. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and it came down, it was it was a pretty crazy match. came down, I threw him to his back with like two seconds left to tie it. Oh my gosh, man! Yep, and then we went like the full set of overtimes, and I ended up winning by a point and, and ultimate tiebreakers. Were you ticked at your uncle after that? Were you like, no, because you, you know I didn't care about like there was never on my mind like oh I can't lose a match in high school. Mm. You know, like I wasn't worried about protecting my record. It was like let's go chase the big fish. You know, I wanted to be like if we were in a duel and there was a guy that was tough somewhere around my weight. And they're like, you want to wrestle him? And I was always, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's, That's awesome, you know. Man. So I wasn't, that was fun, especially since I won. I, I feel like that's the difference between the guys that really excel and the kids that are just good, solid mm-hmm. competition, is that the good kids, they just want, they want to preserve the record. They want to continue to lose. They don't necessarily seek out the guys who have the best chance of beating them. Whereas guys like you, you were, like you said, you were, you're seeking the big fish. You were looking for the guys who are going to beat you. And we'll talk about a, a one particular story later on, but would you agree with me or do you have something to add? Yeah, and I think what I kind of lost lost that a little bit as I got older because other factors start to come in where you have this record and the way people view you is different. And so then you do start to per, you want to protect, you know, and when you get that protect mindset, you don't wrestle as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it affected me a little later on. I, I didn't wrestle as well, but yeah, when I was young, like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, freshman year, sophomore year, it was like, like we were traveling the country, doing whatever, bumping up weight classes, bumping up age levels. When I was coming up fifth, sixth grade, I always wrestled um, an age class above my age class, hmm. just to try to get like try to get beat. Like you know, let's go try to get you beat somewhere. So. Um, and that's what made me get to a, a pretty high level, I think. Mm-hmm. It, the chase is always more well done than the preserve. You know, these guys in the UFC, they will fight. Conor McGregor just dominated on his way to the title. And then preserving the title, it's like you, you see guys fall off all the time. Yeah, You got to keep chasing, man. Climbing. Yeah, I think, you know, especially my senior year of college at the end there, I, I had a great senior year. I had a great career when it, you know, but phenomenal senior year I think I was on like a 22 match win streak in the second semester I beat um I beat Ian Parker from Iowa State Cade Brock from Okie State Murin Yaya Thomas Ironman Chad Red Dom Demas I think I beat them all almost I watched them all man I beat them sick. all almost back to back to back and and when I was doing that it was that like go take attitude it was there was no protecting me you know it was Go beat them. People don't think you can beat them. Go, go take from them. Go take from them. You don't have anything to protect. And then get to nationals time, and now I'm expected to do it again. You know, and I'm the four seed, and it got I, 
I squeeze, I was squeezing the bat too tight. You know, when you're, when you're swinging a baseball bat, you got to let those hands slide when you're squeezing too tight. You can't, you can't swing the bat. And I think that's what happened to me at the end there is I got back to that protect squeeze mindset and the results were not what I wanted, obviously, you know. That's genius. Yeah, you can't squeeze the bat too tight. That's a great metaphor. That's a Doug Schwab metaphor, metaphor who, like, uh, you know, my college coach, Olympian, one of the most influential men in my life, and uh, that's that's his metaphor. So, Dude, we're going to talk Doug. about Doug Schwab. I, I love that guy. Yeah, I he's, mean, he's awesome. His mindset, the way he talks even, is just... It's gold, man, and yeah. we're going to talk about him in a sec, but I wanted to show you this video. You've seen it before, I'm sure. I just thought it was really interesting. You know, you're talking about how if you didn't win four titles, you would have considered yourself a failure, and here's you winning your freshman year, and it was so interesting. They can hear the sound that we can commentate, but what's going through your head here? Uh, this little old Yeah, my single's too big. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I did it, like... No, I should have won, you know. I should have won. That's kind of what I thought. It's ridiculous how chill you are. You just—you're a freshman who just won a title, undefeated. I believe the top comment on this video is, um, you know, that's the most chill 103-pound freshman state finals victory I've ever seen. And that's true. It just—you look disappointed. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I uh, looking back now, I would—I wish I had a little. Would have gave myself a little more had a little more fun with it after I won like you know there were times where I was like had this I don't know if you call it a the never satisfied attitude kind of it's synonymous with the Hawkeyes a little bit I think is where it probably comes from like never satisfied run into the tunnel don't act like you've been there you know it's like I like a little celebration I like that you know enjoy the moment a little bit because you don't get many of those moments you know so sometimes I didn't always enjoy them like I probably should have Right. Were you a big Hawkeye fan growing up? No, I was o Oklahoma State. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My parents were Hawkeyes fans, and we'd go to college matches. So I, I think I probably just picked them because they're the antithesis of the Hawkeyes. But, yeah, I've never been a Iowa fan. And it got worse as I got older, and then I started wrestling, and so I really, got, really wasn't a Hawkeye fan. I like Jacob Warner, though. You <laughs> said he's coming on the show. He's I, I like him because he's an Illinois guy, but... And uh, Cassiope grew up near me, so I'm mm -hmm. a, I'm a big Cassiope fan, and you know they got good guys. I like Kemmer and Marinelli and all those guys, but uh, Hawkeye fan in general, no, never. Well, okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, one of these matches. You know, you pretty much ran through the competition, to be honest with you, at the one A level, mm -hmm. but. There, I mean, people are always saying, you know, he wouldn't be able to do this at the two A level, at the three A level, the three A level especially. Your your junior year, I believe. You faced Johnny H J Jimenez, mm -hmm. and he was a nationally ranked wrestler. You faced him at the Dvorak, and you met him in the finals, and you got the victory over him without going into overtime. And it was really, it was a special moment for 1A guys watching that. Yeah. What do you remember about that match? And then I'll go into one more. Well, I like I said, when I was young, I wrestled everywhere. I wrestled all the 2A and 3A guys, and I don't, I'm probably four or five and one against Johnny. So growing up, I, you know, I always viewed myself as a better wrestler than him. And shout out to Johnny. He's one of my good buddies, you know. Mm -hmm. But so when people were saying that Johnny was better than me or that I wouldn't be able to compete with these guys, like you guys didn't see in junior high, I beat all these guys, you know. I, or I was right there with everybody. So, you know, to the outside fan or people that didn't follow me when I was young, maybe thought I wasn't on that level. But, you know, I knew where I was at. Mm -hmm. Well, what was really cool, I think, which was – 
maybe even the highlight of your career, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Dvorak Finals your senior year. This was, like, you can't write this stuff, man. Yes. I remember I remember, I was in uh, eighth grade or something, and I got done with the tournament, and I couldn't wait to see the results of this this match that Flow Wrestling was uh, covering, and it was really cool. You bumped up from the year before to 132 pounds to face Jared Cortez, who was the number one 132-pounder in the country, big 3A school, Glenbard North. You're coming from little old Dakota, Illinois, which is what? How many kids are even in that school? 250. 250? Uh, yeah. And so you, you go to face this kid who has a better shot at beating you than anyone in the country. And you do it your senior year when you're 170 and 0. And this is soon before the state finals. Mm. So you're putting it all on the line yeah. against the guy who has the best opportunity at ruining it all, ruining the perfect record. What was your mindset going into that? It it was it was a chip on my shoulder. It was uh people are starting to talk about this record that I had that I was unbeaten and they are going to put an asterisk next to it I felt like cuz I was one A, you know, and it was a way to say you know, take that asterisk off cuz I'm I'm going to beat the best guy that you can put out there. You know, and I think at the time he was probably the best guy in the state of Illinois regardless of weight as oh, far yeah, as pound accolades. For pound, I mean, no he doubt. was he, he annihilated everybody for the most part in high school, and he did that when he was a kid too. So I couldn't. It, it was a it was a perfect mix for me. It was a great opportunity, you know. It was an opportunity to silence some people and and really put an exclamation mark. And but also, I can't say that it was. I didn't really in the end. I don't feel like I had that much to lose because everyone thought I was going to lose anyway. You know, so. And now you mean that. You everyone thought you were going to lose, even your family. You said one person <laughs> uh didn't think that you would lose. My mom probably or maybe my grandpa, I think. You said was, your grandpa yeah. cuz he didn't know anything about wrestling yeah, or something. Yeah. My grandpa never thought I was going to lose. Like I could wrestle <laughs> whoever he did. Dan If I wrestled Dan Gable, he'd say I was going <laughs> to. Statistically speaking, he was onto something. You yeah. had never lost. So my grandpa sense. he's a, my grandpa's got crazy faith. Like that guy just believes. He believes in his grandkids 100%. And so before the match, though, I've heard that, you know, your mindset wise, you are no stranger to self-doubt. Like you would you would doubt yourself a lot. Mm -hmm. You say, man, am I really cut out to face this guy? But you would remember how how much work you would put in. That would kind of help ease your nerves. But I'm curious, what things did you say to yourself before big matches like this? And and maybe kids that are listening to this can say similar things to themselves. I think getting, you know, I tell this to my kids, I need to preach it a little more is everybody has their own formula for success so you you're constantly trying to figure out what that formula is for for you you know go back to a time you felt like you wrestled really well what were you saying to yourself what did you eat that morning what how did you warm up what music did you listen to did you listen to music did you did you sleep the night before did you not sleep you know so kind of identify some of those things and then try you know you get in that routine where you just try to implement those before every match um you know, all the big matches that I won that I feel like I wrestled like really well, it was pretty peaceful. Um, didn't really listen to music. I was mainly focused on my thoughts, you know, that 10, 15 minutes before the match. Just at, felt like I could get myself where I was at peace with winning or losing, but I had a little bit of a chip and I had a little bit of probably anger. Just not, not to where I – because if you get so angry, you can't breathe. You know, mm -hmm. you turn red and – not that kind of anger, but just a little bit of that chip on my shoulder. These guys think they're better than me, you know, keeping that in the back of your head type type deal. 
you mentioned that if someone took you to the point where you kind of turned into an animal, that that you could do it. You know, you could go to those dark places. Mm. I'm just curious. Have you ever been there? Has anyone anyone ever pushed you to these places where it kind of scares you? Like that was that was me. I acted oh, like yeah. that. Oh <laughs> yeah. In practice, at you and I, that room is brutal. When I was, yeah, I'm sure it still is, but when I was there, it was, you know, Joe Cologne, who was third in the world, Dylan Peters, two-time All-American, Max Thompson, All-American, four-time state champ in Iowa. He's pretty much the me of Iowa. Like, I wrestled that kid at a takedown tournament here once. And he's extremely I didn't know mean. who he was. Yeah. He got, he took me down twice before I could even do anything. Yeah, he's yeah. one of my good buddies, but um, Joey Laser, All-American, Doug Schwab, Olympian, who would wrestle with us. So that was my partner's. So when you put guys that caliber that don't like to lose with each other, like you get to, you get in fist fights where you do and say things, you, and you got to go apologize the next day, like, hey, I shouldn't have punched you. I'm sorry, you know. Or, so I've gotten there a couple times in, in practice with those guys. Like you've thrown punches at oh yeah, Max me and Thompson. me and Max especially would, we'd he wouldn't fight he he's frustrating because you want to fight him and he'll just keep wrestling you because he knows he's getting <laughs> to you, you know. So he would never just stand up and fight you. So I'd stand up and punch him, but then he'd just double egg me and start beating me up again, you know. So, wow. Yeah. Dang. What what things would you say that you regretted saying? I can't say them on. Really? <laughs> what, you can't bleep them out? Uh, man. Just, <laughs> no, nah, I don't really want to get in, into it. But I was just curious. Things you regret saying later, you of know. Of course, of course. Especially to your friends. Yeah, right, right. Well, hey, real quick, I wanted to, you know, we're talking about that Jared Cortez match. I just wanted to bring this up really quick, see what your thoughts were on this. This is like a minute into the first period. And I remember watching this. I mean, my my nerves were going, especially at this moment. And again, the people watching this can hear it, but feel free to narrate. Stay heavy. Stay heavy. Let's go. Let's go. First period here. Take down first period. Are you are you panicking? Uh, um, I don't, I don't really ever remember panicking that match. And that's part of why I remember that. That was bad technique by me. Standing on my knees. Oh, I gotta do. That's all I can really think about there. Mm. <laughs> and I, I don't remember panicking. I just remember thinking I gotta get an escape because I knew he was good on top. Oh yeah, Cortez made his living on top. Yeah. And I didn't get an escape. He rode me for a while. Oh, okay. But, but he didn't tilt you. No, nope. tilt tons no. of guys. Yeah, I end up getting that. He rode me for most of the second period, and then I end up getting away, so it was 2 1 going into the third. You see that? Ooh, yeah, you got your flat. <laughs> yeah, he's, that's. I still to this day, I think that might be the only time I've ever had a chicken. What made his top game so good? Timing, I guess. I don't know. He just. He timed. He chopped me, and before I knew him, I was on the back. I, he looks like he has great pressure. He too. was strong. He was real strong. Good pressure. Right, let's see this here. You got some movement here. You're building your base. You're getting up to a, some feet. You're keeping that power ball position. Yeah, yeah on bottom, my philosophy, you got to stay sealed with your elbows to stand ball. Mm -hmm. I think kids, especially, they try to move too hard and get extended and give up their wrists and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's more important to stay sealed, stand ball. It seems like keeping that core tight is crucial. Yep. And that's why little kids struggle on bottom. They're just not strong. Oh, Right. Like I get him like doing some sit-ups and stuff like that. Oh yeah, engaging a lot of rope climbs and push-ups and sit-ups. All right, going into the third period. Is that right here? Yeah. Okay. Going into the third, and looks like we're shaking off some stuff here, and this is kind of where things get a little, a little crazy. 
Yeah, he went down. I was down too long. I kind of figured he'd get an escape and I'd have to take him down. I was good on top, but I wasn't. You just don't assume you're going to turn it Dakota guys are notorious for being brutes on top, though. Yeah, don't give me a rip. You guys Boom! I love watching these videos, too, because just to look into the crowd. Oh, yeah. You ever pause it and like watch it over and over? Yeah, there's a couple still shots of other big matches I've had, and I always like to look at I like to look at the crowd more than like the match. Yeah. So what's going through your head after this? It looked like you kind of, if I saw correctly, you kind of gave a couple claps. Oh, maybe it didn't show it. Yeah. It looked like you were pumped. I fired up. Fired up. Because now I'm, I'm up by then. And I, like, when I get a lead, I'm, I'm hard to be up there. So I, was, I knew I was going to do it. Okay, so you're up by one here. Third period. I had a stall card in front of me, so he gets to his feet. I knew I had to turn the card out. So I I wish you and I could hear this. I, I think... What did you coaches think? We're like, ah, oh, crap, you cut him now, it's tied. No, that, it was just like, they could see the momentum in the match and like, go get on. You can tell, I think he's panicking a little bit. And right here, he's getting towards the end of the third period. Boom! Oh, man. Your adrenaline had to be going at this point. Is any point... When you're wrestling, that's my mom sit, like sitting down <laughs> right there. Go, 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 She's at, you can't really see her. She's on her knees. No. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. I remember her in this match by the time Did you ever have like in the middle of your matches where you would think about things not wrestling related, or like you think about the situation and talk to yourself like uh, wrestling Jared Cortez? Not really like that. More like I, every now and then I'd have like I'd hear like my buddy's name get like oh JJ Wolf to Matt. <laughs> Five, and then I think, oh, well, who did it? <laughs> you know, just kind of goofy. <laughs> See, I went to try to go back to that. Oh, that's why he was good at reach. Damn, that's kind of a crazy. You don't see that too often where a guy just muscles and keeps a guy from sucking on the double. I don't know. Okay, this is really going into OT. Okay. I remember correctly, at some point, did he slap your hand? Oh, I thought yeah, he was. No, he does. There he is. He's kind of like, you know, hey. It's not my style. Not your style. You're not a guy that I'm not going to. If you were in an MMA fight, you wouldn't, like, touch gloves at the beginning? Just the beginning. Begin the fight. It's a fight till it's over. Yeah. See, I'm on my knees here again. He could have got me. I got a lot of pressure on That should have been two. Yeah, high school they give you some time to look at look at this crowd. Seems like an important win. What's going through your head here? Freaking awesome. Oh, I got to show this. Oh, that's it. No, that was awesome, man. Dang. Yeah, I remember watching that, and it was so cool. Yeah. So cool. It was, it was a win for the 1A people. Yeah, I had a lot of people coming up. To, you know, still to this day, like, man, you. I got a lot of, I don't want to say fans, but people remember that for the for 1A, 1A guys. You know, it was a big day for 1A, I guess.
Mm-hmm. Well, hey, on that note, we got to give a quick shout out to another local sponsor. They are wonderful. This is Ultra Physical Therapy in Lexington, Illinois. If you're an athlete or an old person who just needs to kind of move around a little better, see these people at Lexington's Ultra Physical Therapy. Newsflash, no one likes being injured or being in pain. And if you're suffering from joint or muscle pain or recovering from a sports injury or a recent surgery, Ultra Physical Therapy in downtown Lexington, Illinois is here to help. They are a locally owned physical therapy company that can treat everyone from the star cheerleader to the farmer getting ready for harvest to the professional office worker to the grandmother who wants to be able to play with her grandchildren. The therapists at Ultra Physical Therapy have a combined 25 years of experience and are trained in cutting edge interventions including dry needling, blood flow restriction training, cupping, and the use of massage and joint manipulation. They are also skilled in developing exercise and rehabilitation programs to get you back to doing all the things that you love to do. So free yourself from those aches and pains that are slowing you down and give them a call at 309-365-2500 to schedule an appointment or just to ask questions. Come to Ultra Physical Therapy in Lexington and we'll keep you moving. We are back. Sorry, we were just talking about uh, Cortez's uh, feelings after that. I didn't know if you knew if he was crushed or anything. No, I mean, sure, it wasn't easy for him, but I don't know. I didn't know him very well, and we didn't really go in the same circle, so I never right. don't want to prod his uh, pride on him too much. You know, it's mm-hmm. he's he's a very deserving opponent, and you know, I, I appreciate him. He made me better. So mm-hmm. insanely talented guy. I mean. I, Things didn't work out for him at U of I for for some reason. He went to Penn State, yeah. you know, blue chip recruit, incredible wrestler. But I I don't know exactly what happened. If he, he got, got hurt, a, he got hurt a lot. Yeah, he had shoulder problems, and then actually at Southern Scuffle, our junior year, he was their starter for Penn State, and he broke his ankle there because we were mm-hmm. it was we were maybe gonna wrestle again. It was looking like we were gonna wrestle, which would have been kind of cool for Illinois people, but didn't didn't end up happening. Yeah. Well, after Cortez, after that Dvorak match, you went on to, well, win your fourth state title. I don't need to you know, keep that a secret or anything. Mm-hmm. You beat Casey Brown from Cole City. Uh, and he's a guy I wrestled. He was a, he's a solid competitor. But again, you, you really blew through the competition that year. One thing I want to talk about before we talk about the, the victory itself is you, let's see, I have some notes here. My favorite story probably was that year was when you gave your regional medal to Austin Henry from Byron, if you remember that. He was a man who suffered from, a kid who suffered from a seizure disorder that affected his motor skills and his memory, and he's quoted as saying this about you when they asked about, you know, this medal and this story. He said about Josh, he is the greatest wrestler in history right now. (laughs) I want to be like Josh. Have you heard that before, and and how did that make you feel? Yeah, I, I... uh, Austin's dad and my dad knew each other, so um, after that happened, I kept talking to them guys a little bit, try to keep a friendship. And unfortunately, his his dad passed away here three or four years ago, so um, tough situation for him. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't like to get into it too much. It's mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to do something good, and I did it. And you know, it is what it is. It's I'm just glad I. I did it, I guess. You you try to stay humble, it seems, right? Yeah, I don't want to get praised too much. That makes right. me uncomfortable. <laughs> Is that kind of from your your upbringing? Your parents teach you that, or um, biblical I don't know. principles, I, right? Yeah, and 
you know, I struggle. I have my own struggles. You know, I'm a believer, and I try to walk the the right walk. But just like everybody else, I have my own struggles and not always doing things the right way. And, um, you know, I don't want to put myself up there like an angel or anything, you know, so. Right, right, right. Well, you know, I, I have a habit of asking people two personal questions. But what are you saying you, you struggle with, he said? You know, what everyone struggles with, you know, it's – the, it's a daily struggle to, you know, not to lie, not to, you know, to watch your language, to, to go, you know, to be selfless, not to be selfish, you know, and, and just to control your thoughts, you know, maybe you don't act on them, but if you dwell on thoughts long enough, now you're entertaining them, you know, so, you know, you, I, I tell my kids this, because this is in wrestling and in life, and it's athletics, or, you know, just anything, you can't control what comes into your mind you can't control it you know but you can control how long you let it stay there and how long you dwell on it and sometimes we let things dwell a little too long that we shouldn't you know i'm debating on saying something here a little vulnerable i guess to me i'll share things that are vulnerable i'll ask people vulnerable questions without knowing they're mm-hmm. vulnerable like not knowing hey that's a big question yeah. asking. I remember when I was a kid. This is hilarious. I shouldn't say this, but I'll say it. So I grew, I am Catholic. I'm a devout mm-hmm. Catholic, and you know about confession in the Catholic Church and everything. I remember when I was a little kid, like right around puberty, I went into the confessional. I was like, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. Uh, I mentioned, like, I I keep thinking about, you know, girls. And I keep having these, these yeah. thoughts and these images in my mind, and they keep coming in. I don't know what to do. And he's like... And because I'm like, I, I keep sinning, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. And he's like, you can't control the thoughts coming in. They're mm-hmm. just going to keep coming in. But you can, exactly what you said. It's almost like you talked to this guy, but yeah. I know you didn't because there's a vow of secrecy <laughs> in the confessional. But it's like, he said, you can't, you can't keep them from coming in, but you can control what you do yeah. with them. You can either put them on the big screen and just, you know, dwell on them yeah. and then just continue to let this filth, you know, go throughout your whole body and into your soul yeah. or you can kind of like close the door on it as as soon as you can yeah and that's that's a verse in the bible that i don't know where it's at but it's take control of every thought take captive every thought make it line up with the word of god mm-hmm. you know so that's where i get that from and i live by that trying to because there's thoughts that there's goofy thoughts that come in that you can't dwell on you got to try to knock them out right away you know but sometimes everybody does it and mm-hmm. it is what it is like sometimes you dwell on thoughts that you shouldn't dwell on or you say things you shouldn't say or yeah you know and you know there's i mean satan can have a, an input on what you're thinking if oh, yeah. i mean i don't know what you okay so it seems like you agree with that oh yeah but like yeah he's the accuser for pete's sake he can get you thinking and i'm actually having an exorcist on the show soon and and we're I've taught, I've listened to exorcists talk. I've talked to priests about this, and it says like one of the best tricks of Satan, and when you really gotta kind of put your guard up, is when you start thinking that you're un unworthy of forgiveness or unworthy of this and that. Like when you start thinking you're no good. It's yeah. Like that's... Well, I I had um, you know people think you're crazy, but you know I feel like I've had revelation. Like the Lord has spoken to me. Obviously, I believe in the Spirit. I believe that the Lord speaks to us and. Um, you know, I was thinking about this subject, this was a long time ago, and it's, um, he almost, not a vision, but like made me, he gave me a metaphor, like it's, it's like a condemned house. You know, when you condemn a house, you're saying, don't, you can't come live here. It's, it's, no one can live here. So if Satan can condemn you, right, he's not letting the Holy Spirit come live within you. He doesn't want anyone to come in. He wants to isolate you 
and he, you know he's trying to condemn he's trying to come in he's trying to condemn your home right so you know you can't condemn yourself that's what he's trying to do mm-hmm. he puts these thoughts like why do i think like this why do i do this why i can't get out of that? that's him you know like you said he's the accuser yeah you know, don't condemn yourself just Keep fighting, man. Get in your word. Yes. No, and fighting is the right word. We were talking about how life is a wrestling match. Mm-hmm. Like, look, you you have your mind. You're in control of this, but there's inputs coming in. It's not You're not going to have control with of it without a fight. And so Satan comes in. You're going to have to wrestle with those thoughts. Yeah. You know, you got to push back. you got to mm-hmm. shove him out of bounds. Yeah. It's really weird when metaphors line up with reality and they become more than metaphors. Right. Well, you know? That's how Jesus spoke a lot of the time was in metaphors and parables and things. And It's like his, the things he it. said are meta, true. Yeah. It's more true. And that's why it's just crazy, man. We could, this isn't a religious episode, but it's turning into one. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, we always joke around when something like that happens. It's crazy or we're like, oh, what a coincidence. You know, like kind of sarcastic. <laughs> exactly. like, it's not a coincidence. It's, it's part of the grand scheme, but, mm-hmm. you know. No, and that's why I'm a I'm a believer myself. Is be, it's not like I wanted to either, because life in a lot of ways becomes significantly more difficult when you accept the reality that God is real, that Christ was God, Christ was God's son, and that the things He said were immensely valuable. In fact, more than immensely valuable, they were the truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like either they guessed and they got it all right two thousand years ago. And so right that we're still like revealing this stuff and you're like, wow, this is so true. Or he was who he said he was, you know? Yeah, well, it almost, to a certain extent, it takes as much, if not more faith to not believe in God. Oh, you yeah. Know, like some like some of these scientific, scientific theories and stuff, like the Big Bang and stuff. I've tried to research because I'm like, God. and I've asked people that believe in it. And it's like, dude, that takes a lot of faith to believe mm-hmm. that. Like well, the- probably more than creation and, and god yeah. created us just as much well time out you know who came up with the big bang theory it was father georgia slamider alongside edwin hubble he was a vatican priest so he's a catholic priest who came up with it and in his thing was and he said this to the pope like well the big bang that kind of works perfectly with god's creation he said let there be light you know yeah and then the pope was like ah you know i don't know about that but it you know, it, it, the Big Bang is one thing. I'm like, you know, it could coexist perfectly. Yeah. I'm not saying it. Yeah. I'm just saying some of these things, mm-hmm. how can you laugh at my faith when the, some of the things you believe in? There's a book called <laughs> I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, mm-hmm. and it, it paints perfectly. Some genius guy wrote it, and he talks about the mathematics behind the odds of us being the kind of life forms that we are on this planet in the craziness of space in the cosmos the odds of this happening are it's actually impossible yeah. he, he painted it he's like if you were shot out of a cannon into the cosmos in any direction of all the directions for any amount of time and you just so happen to land on one atom the one atom you're that that was like the chosen atom you just landed on that by chance yeah. in a in hundred years the odds of that happening are better than life being as we know it on this planet. And well, that's I mean, what's, ludicrous. what's the earth, the, the tilt of the earth, like 26.5 degrees or something? I don't 23.5, know. it's somewhere in there, I think. But if that's half degree one way or the other, we don't survive. You know what oh, I'm saying? Really? Things like that. Dang. You know, if we're, this, if we're this much closer to the sun, we get burned up. If we're this much farther away, it just, mm-hmm. come on, man. I, <laughs> yeah. And as we stray. a lot stray- of faith to believe in, in strictly science. Oh, right, right. And science fails to acknowledge an 
entire aspect of reality, perhaps the biggest aspect of reality, which could be metaphysical, like science studies the natural world, the mm. physical natural world, that's it. Well, of course, you're not going to explain something that's metaphysical beyond physical with pure science. Yeah. Well, it takes both. You know, I believe it's not like uh, all science is wrong. Man, science is science is from God. It's a study of his creation. It's a study of how he did things. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's it's just so strange to me. It's I'm not even going to say anything. (laughs) We're getting off. We're going on tangent here. We're talking about your darn Uh, wrestling career. I like tangents. That's all right. Yeah. Same here. (laughs) But hey, I want to ask about, you know, we're talking about Satan being the accuser and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And going into your fourth state title, I remember reading something in Sports Illustrated. I couldn't find it in my research again, but in Faces in the Crowd, in Sports Illustrated, they talked to you and you said something along the lines of, People don't realize how stressful it was leading up to this fourth state title, even after your victory over Jared Cortez. Mm-hmm. What was the state tournament like for you that senior year? Not very enjoyable till it was over. You know, it was, I remember being down in the tunnel before my finals match crying, uh, just like so much pressure and thinking I'm going to get caught and pinned. You know, I've heard stories of guys that were on track to do similar things and you know, just goofy things get happen. They get caught and pinned. Dan Gable. And I like had visions of myself getting pinned. So I was like, uh, I knew it was like, had to fight that before the match even started, you know? So that was a lot of pressure, but I'll say this, it wasn't even comparable to the pressure I felt my senior year at, at UNI trying to, to all American at the national tournament, you know, trying to win matches there. That was a lot more pressure. I felt like Right. We haven't even gotten to you and I yet. We will soon. But so you go on to wrestle Casey Brown. It's it's a you know, a solid victory. Um it was a one sided victory. What did you feel then after you finally got the job done? The pressure was off. Was yeah. it relief or was it Yeah, it was just hundred percent relief. You know, again it was I knew I was gonna do it, I expected to do it, but to actually be done with it was not much joy, just like get me out of here i'm done you know right it's not an uncommon thing to hear among guys that do things similar to what you're doing but i pulled up this video i want to get your thoughts on it again here's the moment you know where the seconds are winding down here if you want to give us a commentary on this How you point up after these victories. You always do this. You always point to God. And you have a tattoo, don't you? Like somewhere on yeah, your arm. Yeah, it's the Christian, you know, the, the, the fish. Can you show it? Let's get that. Oops. There it is. So what's that say? <laughs> Glory to God. Yep. Right on, man. Yeah. How, how important was your faith? Has your faith been throughout your entire wrestling career? Um, I just believe in God's plan. I think whether it was wrestling or whatever, I just felt like he had me where he wanted me to be, whether it was, you know, wrestling at Dakota or 
wherever I was training or wrestling at UNI, I was like, this is the Lord's guiding my steps and this is where he wants me. So I got to just do my best with where I'm at, you know? So whether I, th- I think if I was six feet tall and I played basketball, I would have had the same attitude as like, this is where God wants me to be and doing this and, you know, try to do it the right way. You ever, you ever, uh, lose your faith or anything? You ever have to really, you ever go into a dark place? I mean, you, look, your head's yeah. on your shoulders in a great way. Your uh-huh. parents raised you very well, but just curious. Um, yeah, I mean, I still battle with it. You, you get pulled away by things in the world. You get so focused on, you know, sometimes wrestling was bad because I get so focused on the wrestling that everything else in life was like, I don't care. You know, I don't care about anything. I just want to win. And, you know, you see that a lot with, and then we're all susceptible to it with money in, in the business world. Like you can chase too hard and now you get pulled away from what's meaningful and you have to pay a price for that. But then you feel that pull coming back to get back on the, the narrow road. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly being pulled. Oh, not a weight where I don't have unbelief, but where I put him in the back seat, like, you know leave a voicemail. I, I can't answer the call right now. I'm, I'm over here working for my own benefits. You know what I'm saying? Other things become the central point of your life. Right. Priorities get out of whack, I guess. How do you get it, get God back in the center? Is it, is, is it praying in the morning? Is it? Yeah. Praying, you know, fellowship with people that are close to me and, you know, just trying to stay in the word, trying to, trying to pray, trying to talk about him more and trying to get your thoughts more, equated around him than other things hmm. now okay so you win your fourth state title you're a, you're a big recruit but you're kind of slighted in the college recruiting process i mean minnesota's looking at you some other d1 schools are looking at mm-hmm. you but the big ones i mean look you're undefeated four-time state champ beat the number one guy at 132 pounds in the nation but still you're kind of getting slighted mm-hmm. What about you and I? What about Doug Schwab seemed attractive to you? What resonated with you that made you ultimately go to the University of Northern Iowa? Um, You know, some of the other schools I was looking at had really good teams and guys around my weight. And uh, it was like, you know, we can't guarantee that. And they couldn't, you know, but they're like, yeah, we're bringing all these guys in and, you know, you're part of this. And But Doug was like, and they wanted me to commit because they're like, well, we got to find our guy. We got to get the money allocated and everything else. And I remember Doug and Mark Schwab, his brother, when they came to my house, they're like, you're our guy. We're not worried. You know, we're not worried about this guy over here. We're not worried about this guy. We're not worried if he did better than you at this tournament. They're like, we're focused on you and we're putting our chips with you. And when they said that, I was like, you know, I just, whoever's going to believe in you like that, it's has a lot of sway. So when he's like, you're our guy. I was like, sure am. Let's do it. There's the loyalty then. Yeah. Oh man. He's that's, that's the best word to describe, uh, Doug and, and the Schwab family, their loyalty until the death. And, you know, and D one wrestling where his job depends on winning and him getting paid and, um, you know, providing for his family. A lot of it is he has to win. So for him to sometimes, um, risk not winning to stick with a guy a little longer and give him a little bit more of a chance and he does that and a lot of college coaches you know they they don't they don't give you as many chances as Doug will give you to produce you know so he's loyal to you till the end and what's his coaching style like then 
he's a nice guy. He cares about you. He's loyal. But what, he, when it comes to wrestling, what what kind of things is he telling you? How's he push you? Yeah. Well, a lot of people, Doug's a lot of people in this generation. He's like, you know, like guys my age or a little older. Doug Schwab is like their favorite wrestler because when he is like Iowa, <laughs> like when we when they were growing up watching the Iowa Hawkeyes, like Doug Schwab is Iowa. He's like in your face, intense, probably crossing the line a little bit sometimes. You know, like that Iowa style, that Gable style, that's Doug mm-hmm. embodied. But then he also has this side where, hey, you like he can be soft with you too where when you need somebody to lift you up, he'll lift you up. He's not always just this hard ass, you know. So he's just a really good dichotomy of Iowa style, that intense, brutal style, and then also understanding, yeah, it is just a wrestling match. It is just a, a game at the end of the day, you know. Hmm strange how he can he can balance that and have both ends of the spectrum in this yeah. one person and you talk about he is iowa i yeah. swear i used to think that him and like the Branzas were cousins at least oh yeah like they look alike they're the same that's probably i think they still get along but they can't agree like you and i and iowa don't wrestle because they when they're in agreements to try to get their schedules and stuff it's like they're just too stubborn they're like both of them you know they're like you're gonna come here this date and they're like no you're gonna come here this date and they're like fine we just won't do it then you know are you kidding me? Yeah, that's just how they can't get it together. We always wanted to, like, I was like, take me, I want to wrestle at Carver Hawkeye. I don't care if we wrestle there. But they would give us a date, and it didn't, we already had something else scheduled, and they're like, no, well, that's all you get. He doesn't like Iowa, does he? I've heard him refuse to say the name Iowa in a <laughs> press conference. He's well, like, you got to be like that when you're coach. You know, you can't have loyalties at your old school. You know, you're Cedar Falls, Iowa, you and I, that's his home, and, you know, he's a Panther through and through. So when you... You know, I don't know if I don't know how he personally feels about Iowa, but yeah, he's not. He's. I mean, I never saw Hawkeye stuff in his house. Right. And, you know, I went over for family meals and stuff. You didn't see much Hawkeye stuff laying around. You didn't see his old warm ups or anything. It was he's you and I now, and that's his home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see that with some of these guys. They they start to uh, like I know Metcalf and St. John are at Iowa State, mm-hmm. and they're kind of like disrespectful towards iowa now yeah and it's you know you, you got to be because they are a, a school that gets a lot of praise mm-hmm. and so it's like you don't want people for one second thinking that you're still loyal yeah. to them yeah and when you're at you and i or iowa state they're you're competing against those guys for recruits and stuff so it's you can't have one foot here and one foot. it's like hey we're we're gonna beat iowa you know that's how you got to look at it and that's how you got to preach it to the guys you're recruiting mm-hmm. so and, you know, I don't think Iowa makes it easy when you do, you know, on Metcalf or St. John or Doug. When they left, I don't think they pat him on the back and said best wishes. You know, I think they make it, like, clear that you're the enemy. Yeah, they, they put your stuff in a trash bag and put it on the side of the street, I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, tell me about Doug Schwab. What's maybe one thing that he, one mental trick or tip that he he instilled in you or taught you that really has stuck with you, that you think is really valuable? Because his brother's huge on mindset, I know, yeah, and I'm sure Doug is as so well. It's so hard to pinpoint one thing. I'm, uh, most of the things I say are in some way influenced by him. You know, my wrestling philosophy a lot is influenced by him. And just, uh, you know, oh, man, that's tough. I know one thing when I talk to my guys about is he used to say tip of the sword, so – He's looking for somebody that's not afraid to be that first guy in, you know. So a sword has that tip that that's what penetrates through defense. 
So when somebody penetrates, when you get that, it's, you know, the tip is the smallest part of the sword and then it gets wider. Hmm. When somebody pokes through, now the four or five guys behind him are like, we can, you know, it makes it possible for everybody else. So you're always looking for that guy that's got the courage and the bravery and is going to put the work in to poke through and do something that maybe no one thought they could do and then everybody else follows, you know, and that's why you see, you'll see a school that hasn't had any success and then they get a guy that wins state. And the next year, two state champions. The next, you know, and then it's like, oh, it's normal now. Mm-hmm. Look so. at Dakota. I mean, you, mm-hmm. JJ Wolf, Carver James. Maybe I'm forgetting one other person. But all of a sudden, you have three Division One wrestlers. Yeah. In a school of how many kids again? One more time. Two fifty. Two fifty. Yeah. That's unreal to have three Division One wrestlers come out of that room. Yeah. And then after that, look at. I mean, look at all these kids now. The Blakely brothers, I think. Right. Yeah. Phoenix those are my nephews. And- Okay. Yeah. So I, I interviewed these. I interviewed all the 1A state champs this year at the state tournament. And by the way, there's one kid, uh, Tyson Waddle, who is an undefeated state champ at 106 pounds. We'll mm-hmm. see. He might be the next he's one. He's tough, man. I like watching him. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. I like, And I think he's the first state champ from his high school ever. Oh, my. That's right. In that's wrestling. Right. In wrestling. Right. I think there's only been like three state champs ever. Like There's like a track guy from the 50s or something. But mm-hmm. yeah, there's a tip of the sword right there. We'll see if some guys follow him, you know. It's freaking right. He's tip of the sword. Tyson, if you're watching this, you're tip of the sword. That's right. So you said tip of the sword is a good thing that uh, he taught you as far as, like, you know, mental philosophies. Uh, well, that's not really – well, it sort of is. It's just kind of a metaphor for, yeah. for life. Someone's got to be the tip of the sword. Did he teach you – I hate to dwell on this too much, but I want to learn some mindset tricks from one of the greats. Is there any – did he teach you to value this or that a little more, to, to push harder? Did he motivate you in a new kind of way? It or? was um, It was focus on, you know, for me especially, he knew each guy individually what they needed, but a lot of just focus on your effort, focus on turning things into fights and doing the hard things right. Don't Don't try to focus all on the win, but just focus on – you know, doing the things that we work on, do those things 100% right, and the winning's going to kind of take care of itself a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that was a big push. And then we just worked really hard. I mean, he's no days off. I mean, to this day, he's he's like, I want to say probably 42, 43 years old. He's still wrestling D1 guys, and he's probably 6% body fat because he works out every day, <laughs> three times a day. So when you got a leader like that, you got to try to keep up with him, which you never will. You know, mm-hmm. some guys maybe, but, man, he's – so it was just extremely hard work, not not giving yourself time to feel sorry for yourself or just get back to work and keep moving forward. It's crazy. Sometimes you wrestle these these guys that are in their 40s, and you'd think that you'd be able to get the best of them, but it's really strange. You hear about Terry Brands. He took it to Ramos when Ramos was a you know a sophomore. It's like, how? How can you do that? They're just yeah. you know low body fat. They feel like they're made of rock. Oh, you know? yeah, he's... <laughs> yeah, he gave me some beatings for sure. I remember, like, when you got a takedown, and he, it's funny, like, he's probably the most competitive person I've ever been around. So we'd play dodgeball at the beginning of practice. Like, if you got him out, he's pissed. You know, he's swearing. Or, like, you beat him in a silly game, he's pissed. Or when he'd wrestle with us, you know, sometimes coaches are, like, coaching you as they're wrestling. You're like, oh, run the corner. <laughs> he's just trying to beat your ass, you know. <laughs> and if you got a takedown on him, he'd, he'd let you know about it. So you felt... When you took him down, you knew you earned it, you know. Mm-hmm. You, and I remember that's probably some of the best takedowns I got in my life for taking him down because I, how tough he was, and I knew I earned him, you know. Mm-hmm. So he could he took you down plenty of times. Oh, I didn't start. 
I mean, I don't, I don't even want to say I start beat him. I don't think I ever really would have beat him. But being able to really give him, go maybe 60-40 with him till I was a junior in college. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if I was really going 60-40. He might have been giving, giving me some without knowing it. But, yeah, he's, he's unreal. Right. And, yeah. and you were in good company in that room. You got Max Thompson. You got Peters, who was a 125-pounder. That dude was tough. You, I heard you say on that uh, podcast that he – he pinned you plenty of times. You had an yeah. unreal cow catcher at the Division One level. Yeah. Joe Cologne, that guy's a stud too. So you were in great company, and I kind of want to talk about your, uh, your your career there. So you – oh, I thought I had it in my notes. I don't. But you had a, a solid freshman year, your four-time Nationals qualifier. F- freshman year, uh, I think you got a win at the National Tournament. Sophomore year, you had a, a really good year. I think you were 3-2. and two. Junior yep. year, uh, something happened. I kind of forget what happened there. Yeah, Didn't my junior think? year, I was the nine seed. Had a good year. Um, I lost to Dean Heil at Big 12, who's a two-time national champ for Oklahoma State. I took him right to the to the wire, so I got third at Big 12. So I was sitting in a good spot, nine seed. Um, had a kid from Eastern Michigan. Oh, that's right. And uh, I he'd been in my brackets at – a lot of turn, you know, I, he'd been around for a long time, and I never gave him an ounce of respect because I outplaced him everywhere. I beat guys that beat him. I didn't even think about him, you know. Hmm. And you'd think at the Division One level at the NCAA tournament, you'd have the self awareness to not overlook guys, right? But I, it was a mix of I went into that just I was worried about the next round, you know. I was like, I'm gonna have Nick Lee second round. He's the eight seed. I had a really good match with him that year at Southern Scuffle. Um, and I was like, man, I'm in a good position to make a deep run in the tournament here because I get past this first one. Me and Nick are going to get into a scrap. I could beat him there, and now I'm in the quarters against Meredith, who I beat three times in high school. Really? You beat Bryce Meredith three times? Yeah, I never wrestled him in college, but I beat him in high school two or three times. <clears throat> and uh, so I was like, man, I could be in the semis. You know, I'm I'm prognosticating the bracket. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to get past that first match. You know, and right. he, and it was a mix too. He had probably, he definitely had the best turn of his life. He ended up all American. He beat, and then, and Nick Lee got upset first round as well. So we both got upset that first round. And now it's me and Nick Lee where Nick I thought got was, pinned. He got pinned. So it's me and him in the first round wrestle back. Mm-hmm. So I overlooked that guy. It put me in a world of hurt. And uh, I just couldn't bounce back mentally. I, not that, you know, to beat Nick Lee, you have to be in the right mindset. And even then, it's, you, they're going to have a hard time. He's a two-time national champ, but I just couldn't even get a bad job by me because you need to be able to get back up in the wrestlebacks. But I I didn't have myself mentally ready in that wrestleback. When I came back, I was just too devastated by what happened in that first round. How'd that match go with Nick Lee in the wrestlebacks? He just kind of hand- controlled it. I think it was 8-5 or 8-4. Mm-hmm. Just not anything to remember. Right. <laughs> Handled me. Well, so going into your senior year, you said the pressure, which was enough to make you cry before the finals your senior year in high school, mm-hmm. was nothing compared to the pressure going into yeah. your senior year at UNI. And I remember just a brief little history here. I remember seeing you in preparation for the upcoming season, your senior year on Instagram. You uh, you climbed a rope enough times, to it was equivalent to you climbing up Mount Everest. Yeah, and that's a Doug thing. Doug Schwab kind of invented that challenge, but that, a lot of the UNI guys do that. It's kind of a rite of passage. I see. Yeah. So you were really training. I heard you say that you ran at least a mile every single day for like 80 days straight, yeah. 
but it ended up being you know more like four miles on most days. Yeah. So you were you yeah, were. Yeah, I just committed. got in a, I got in a rhythm in my training where it was I was eating right, really, really. I was, my body was really lean. Um, you know, I was running. I was starting to run like twelve miles at a time, thirteen miles at a time. That's half marathons. Yeah, man. and like not really, like almost every other day I'd run that far. I'd run it every day, but. You were I running just, 13 miles multiple times a week at one time? I was hungry. Yeah. Dude. over t- I, I, I'd say over 10 miles probably two or three times a week. Yeah. That's unreal. I didn't know that. That's incredible. And I hate running. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually kind of like it now, but before that, I thought I hated running. What did you eat just before we move on? I'm very curious. Chicken and broccoli. That's it? No rice? A little bit of rice. Yeah, rice. When you run that much, you can actually eat a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, So I ate a lot, but just really good food. Chicken, rice, broccoli spinach salmon i like salmon a lot of eggs just this protein clean, and greens clean clean yeah dang did no you i ever didn't cheat? drink any calories okay except for some beers here and there when i really needed to relax but <laughs> <laughs> you know on the That's... weekend drink a couple beer but no i very dedicated on my diet and my workouts that summer especially what kind of beer did you drink cold cold, cold <laughs> just beer. anything yeah. probably domestics and yeah stuff. domestics i'm not not an IPA guy, just, I'm not fancy. Uh-huh, right, right, Well, I have a wonderful craft beer sponsor. I offered you some beer, I think, but we're just drinking In coffee. The, yeah, it's a little early when I got here, so. Right, right, Well, okay, so at this time, before we're, one more question leading up into this, this buildup of the season. Were you married at this time? Yeah, I got married, uh, I want to say, my sophomore year of In college. college, wow. Yeah. Yep. Dang, man. Yep. What was that like? Well, I've been with my wife since on and when we first started, we were on and off, but oh, yeah, like seventh, any good high school relationship, yeah, like junior high kids, you know, mm-hmm. since seventh grade. So, you know, I'd been with her for what you're probably twelve or thirteen, and we got married when we were twenty, twenty-one. So, I'd been with her for seven or seven or eight years. So, wow, we were young, but I mean, most of my friends in college aren't married, but it was not a big thing to me. Mm-hmm. So. Well, so anyway, I assume you guys were living together, and she must have really been with you all the way. If, if yeah, well, she you... loved it when I, she she's always like, "You need to get me back doing that." Because when we were living like that, we were she was working out too a lot, just because I was always working out, and it, and she had to eat what I ate pretty much. So, yeah, she liked it. Well, you look like you're still in fighting shape. Honestly. Not even close to what I was. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. What are you weighing now? Um, I'm probably about fifty four, fifty five. Which I was like forty eight, forty nine then, but I was a lot more muscle. I've lost a lot of the muscle I gained then because I, I was running and wrestling and lifting all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty pretty strong. Okay, so back to the the lead up to the season, your senior year, you're training like a freaking madman. It's mm-hmm. incredible. What's what's going through your head? How, how you enter the season? You know what's this all like? Uh, just bitter. I was bitter that whole summer, like. Coming into college, I was like, I'll definitely be a four-time All-American. I didn't understand. I'm like the first one in my family, first one from Dakota, first one from the area to ever go D1 wrestling. So I didn't even really know what it – I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how hard it was, you know. So when I was going into Division One, I was like, I'll be a four-time All-American, like just bare minimal, you know. And then it's (laughs) it's a lot harder than you think, and – just things didn't go my way a little bit, and now I'm a senior, and I haven't been, even been an All-American once. So I got this bitterness driving me, and this, like, this is your last chance. You better make sure 
you give yourself every opportunity you can give yourself to make sure you get it done, you know. All right, so you start the season, and it's, it's looking pretty good right out the gate, right? Yeah, I had a decent start to the season. I lost at the first opening we went to. I got it was kind of I got caught. Um, I didn't really put too much in. I got caught by the Wisconsin kid who's now my friend, Tristan Moran, good dude, but um, he pinned me, but it, I kind of didn't. It didn't bother me because I was like, I just caught me in a position that that was kind of a fluke, you know. Um, I ended up, I was probably like 15 and four in the first half of the season. And then that second half, and I was a little tight in the first half. That second half is when I started opening up and I was like, all right, we got to go to work here. And I got in a rhythm with my wrestling and, um, my mindset was right. And that's when I went on a really good streak there and, you know, beat those guys we talked about earlier. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, actually my lot, I lost to Yanni. He came back. He was hurt. He came back in December, and I had him in a duel, and he handled, He beat me up. And I remember just like, man, I put all this work in, and this guy beat me up. Yanni's a little different, though, man. Oh, he's way different. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's, he's the best exactly... guy I've ever wrestled. Really? Oh, yeah. Dang, I was going to ask you that question. Yeah, he's a freak. Like, he's just, you can't, he's just a mix of everything. He's just very good, but I that kind of kick-started me again losing to him like I lost like we got to get it together and then after I lost to him I went like you know the the whole second semester I didn't lose again till hmm. Nash or till big 12s what's Doug Schwab saying to you when you're on this tear and you're just like possessed they're just you know my Randy Pugh is one of my main coaches there um who I did like most of my individuals with he was a big part of it getting my mindset right like he's he's a genius um but they're just like, you know, they're like feeding me, you know, like, look at these guys you're beating. Look at, look at what you're doing. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. Look how all that training you did. Look what, look at you now. Like you're, these guys can't beat you. You're too tough. You know, just constantly pumping you up, mm-hmm. you know, saying things like that. Your senior year, you won the Midlands, didn't you? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. You had to feel pretty That was like a childhood good. dream for me because growing up, I always went to the Midlands. I only live an hour, mm-hmm. 15 from where they host it. So, and I never saw myself winning that as a kid you know i didn't understand i'd even be there so to win that was like a dream come true well uh, another story look man you you're a good guy you've done some really cool things not just wrestling wise not skill wise but person wise mm-hmm. uh and i asked about the midlands because at the midlands you you did something that i thought was really cool it was shortly after uh, eli stickley's tragic death he was a wisconsin yeah. you know good wrestler Apparently you knew him, but he died tragically in a car accident. And here, I'll just let this video do it, do the talking real quick. But this is from Big Ten Network. Uh, it was a mini documentary they made. And here in the first few seconds, they, they kind of talk about you. So again, Eli Stickley was a Wisconsin wrestler. He died tragically in a car accident. Uh, he was a brother-in-law of Alex Marinelli. And here we the go. The first season without him, it was really tough, but there were great people that honored him. The wrestling community is so big, but it's also so small. I mean, it's just a small world with the wrestling community, and it's amazing how many people Eli reached. We've received so many things from people. Obviously, we've received many cards and notes of encouragement and just means so much to us. There's a headgear from Josh Alber, um, who dedicated uh, the Midlands tournament last December in Eli's name, um, and he gave this to us. And um, <clears throat> it says, uh, 
Worn in memory of Eli Stickley, a warrior on the mat, a brother in Christ. Um, it's very special to us. All right. Well, everyone heard that but us. It was, it was really a touching thing. You know what you, you wrote on the inside yeah. of that headgear, I bet. Yeah. And I, you know, Todd Stickley, Eli's dad, and, and his mom, they're like, man, they're the salt of the earth. They're just really good people. And um, again, it was just something little I could do to honor him and did it. So, Well, it just goes to show that little things that we do out of the kindness of our heart can actually mean the freaking world yeah and every now and then todd still texts me and stuff and i get to talk to him and you know i'm i'm glad i got a relationship with those guys now because uh like i said they're just really good people Mm -hmm. yeah well so let's talk about your career you know your senior year when it winded down you you qualified for the ncaa tournament and just tell me about that yeah um came into ncaa's i was probably 31 and 5 around there um seated me fourth um, and I had the army kid first round who I knew his name from high school and he was tough. And the NCA is like, you have tough first round matches. You know, even guys that aren't known are tough. Like the 31 seed or whatever is a tough kid. You know <laughs> yep, what I'm saying? And yep. I learned that the year before. So I was really nervous for that first round match because I was like, the same thing's going to happen to me that happened last year. I'm going to get upset first round and... I'm going to look like an idiot, you know? And so I just was so nervous that I, I, and this isn't an excuse. This is my own fault, but I was so nervous that I gave myself um, like migraines, like just like physically sick from being so nervous because mm-hmm. I, I wanted it so bad. And I knew like, to me, it was like life and death, you know? And, uh, I won the match, but it took a lot out of me physically and I remember going back to the hotel after that because that's in the morning. Then you have a night round match. I remember going back to the hotel and like trying to relax, and I couldn't relax the whole day. And just and then you have the awareness to know like, hey, I'm not gonna win if I oh, am in this. Yeah. Mi- so now you're like, it's compounded. It's double like, whammy. Yeah, you're like, God, I gotta try to slow myself down. He's like, if I keep doing this, I'm not gonna win. And it's like it's a downward spiral. It going is, on and here. it just. It, I, I got myself mentally ready for that second match, but physically I did not feel good. I just, like I said, I was just like dizzy, migraine. I knew like I physically wasn't right, and I just felt sluggish, and and I got beat that second round, got upset. Because I was the four seed. If I would have won that, I would have had Ironman in the quarters, and I beat him probably a month earlier. One of the bigger wins I ever had, but... I felt really confident against Ironman just because our styles are opposite, mm-hmm. and I'm real basic and solid, and he, I think he kind of struggles with guys like that. And I always kind of, even though he, he beat me twice, but I always gave him problems. And then that third time I beat him. So I was, I wanted that match with Ironman in the quarters, and but I just, man, I got myself so worked up that first round and physically just wasn't there and ended up losing that second round. And then now your dreams are shattered a little bit. I knew the position I was in in the wrestlebacks, and uh, just well, you don't want to be in the wrestlebacks at NCAs. You got good guys fighting for all American honors, and fell short. Right, and it this still hurts to talk about. I assume it hurts less, a lot less now. Fresh out of college, I was like, I'd say depressed. <laughs> you know, I felt like I my whole college career I looked at it as a failure, but now a little more awareness and birth of my son and 
running a business and realizing there's a lot more to life than wrestling lets <laughs> me, I can laugh about it a little bit now, you know, I'll still be driving down the road and think about it sometimes and be slamming the steering wheel, but yeah, it's, uh, you remember what you could have done in a match and it would have gone different type of thing. And just like losing to guys I had no business losing to because of mentally, I wasn't where I should have been, you know, and things like that. And well, looking back out. now, like, well, first of all, what was it like then to end the season that way, you know, to go back home after you graduated from you? What'd you, what'd you major in, by the way, what'd you get a degree in and then wrestling? that's what i always say i i was there to wrestle i got a degree Uh in exercise science but i was i knew i was going to probably start my own business and work outside or do something i wasn't going to use that that was just keeping me eligible so uh looking back now that was foolish i should have got a business degree or something but uh man it was devastating i had to stay out there two or three months after season and finish school and it's just not a happy time for me just depressed and Felt like I went through all this trouble of wrestling my whole life, and I always pictured myself ending on top, and I didn't, and you know, bat- battling thoughts like that, and it, it was hard. It was really hard, but you gotta have a perspective shift and think, and you realize, hey, there's people dealing with like actual real life adversity, and you didn't win in a game, and you're mm-hmm. being a crybaby about it. So you know, you need to cowboy up a little bit. Right. It's hard to do, though, man. It's so weird. It's like part of your body and your brain is ingrained to believe that this is the most important thing, and it's extremely serious. So you can say these things to yourself, like literally speak words to yourself in your head, maybe even say them out loud, but your body's still like, that was important. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's still times where I let myself get in that rabbit hole of like the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but like I said, it's God's plan, man. He's got me where he wants me, and... I, it made me better, hundred percent. Well, now you're a coach. You, you suffering through that, you gained untold wisdom that you can apply now to your athletes at Albert Athletics and at Dakota. What if you could go back? If you could disguise yourself as a coach, go back in time, talk to yourself during that time. What would you have told yourself that you think you would have needed to hear? Uh, that's tough. Just if I could have viewed it a little less like life and death would have been better for me. You know, I just, like I said, I squeezed the bat too tight and I was protecting and not viewing it as like going and taking. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll say I believe it's made me a lot better coach because, you know, I understand stress and pressure from wrestling and I can see it on guys. You know, I can see in their eyes because that's, you know, you can tell in a guy's eyes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully I can say something to him that helps him understand, helps him relax, and, you know, can wrestle well. Right. Okay, well, we're about to wind this thing down. We got one more commercial here, and then I got a few questions to ask you. But here is a quick word from Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury, Illinois, a beloved grocery store. Everyone loves this place. Go check them out. Since 1950, Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury has been wowing customers throughout central Illinois with their unmatched customer service, delectable deli market, beloved grocery carryout service, and many other fortes, which is why they've earned hundreds of five-star reviews online. Dave's Third Street Deli has plenty of seating and is a destination place to meet your family and friends for good food, fun, and fellowship. 
Not only is their homestyle fried chicken here the best around, but you can also enjoy free coffee and 50 cent ice cream every single day. And be sure to check out their Old World Bakery while you're here, where freshly baked goods are prepared every morning. You'll find hundreds of unique and signature items here at Dave's that you won't find anywhere else, like their famous potato salad, ham loaf, and canned meats, just to name a few. Dave's Supermarket is open Monday through Saturday from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. and offers online shopping and curbside services. Come experience this revered location that puts a super in supermarket when you shop at Dave's in Fairbury, Illinois. Wowing the customer for over 70 years. All right, that was Dave's Supermarket in Fairbury, Illinois. Amazing place. Everyone loves Dave's. Josh, you've probably never been there because he... <laughs> Looked good, though, in that commercial. Yeah. Wish I had more time. I'd stop by there. Yeah, for sure. Maybe your business will take you that way. I hope so. But, okay, I want to ask you a little bit about, you know, after college, you entered a new world of fatherhood. You're mm-hmm. a husband. And, and a father, like I said, how did that change your outlook on life? You know, you were formerly a, a dedicated athlete, but now priorities have totally switched yeah uh my coach at UNI Randy Pugh used to like there toward the end when he knew I was struggling with getting over how my career ended it's like man when you have kids and you're doing your own thing it's you're not even gonna most days you'll never even think about this and it'll be in your rearview mirror and I didn't understand that but now I do like man a lot of things really shrink in value to me when in comparison to my son and just man I love to spend time with him and being his dad and yeah, he's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Gray, what's his name again? Gray Dean Elber. Yep, yeah. meant for uh, that. That's gonna be on the cover of some country music. Albums. I'm hoping he doesn't have to wrestle or work or anything. He just be a country <laughs> star and Gray Dean, man. Heck yeah. yeah, great name. Yeah, but so you also okay? So you founded the Albert and Son earthworks which is the excavation company which is doing really well it's keeping you busy it's it's gonna blow up i'm sure but you hopefully. also have oh you're gonna say something hopefully <laughs> yeah well you also have albert athletics where you're training you know serious young high school age and eighth grade and under kids to become champions you already have national champions a girl national champion or girl state champ yeah. both maybe and some male high school state champions in that group already it's only two years old What's your vision with Albert Athletics? Yeah, obviously a lot of those kids came to me with really good foundations and I've built on them, so I can't take credit for them and they do it themselves. I just provide the opportunity. But um, yeah, my vision for Albert Athletics is just to give kids opportunities to advance themselves to where they want to get. So if they want to be a Division One wrestler, you know, hopefully I can get them to that level and they'll have the opportunity and hopefully they get some scholarship money and can go do that. Or if they just want to be high school state champions hopefully I get them there you know so there's some guys in our room that aren't that talented and maybe just getting to sectionals would be Hmm. would be the thing you know a a life changer for them and that's where I'm trying to get them so right and you're also teaching them how to be functional members of society you know it's not just teach them to wrestle and personality and character goes out the window like some club kids uh do you know you're teaching them how to be good young men and women yeah hopefully I mean it's easy to just get folks on the wrestling but the best thing I can do is try to live my life in a correct manner, and they're going to just try to, you know, follow me and imitate me a little bit in the right things. Yeah. Well, Josh, I know you're a busy guy. You got to get going here in just a second. You got some club, uh, a club practice you got to get to at five. Yep. You got to make the drive all the way back up to Dakota. I have a few more questions. I've appreciated your time. You're 
freaking story inspires me a lot, but I have a few rapid-fire questions for you just to wind down here. All right. All right, first thing here. I've always been curious. Nate Joza was a well-known kid uh, in high school. He was a state finalist. He kicked my butt. Actually, I never wrestled him, but he would have kicked my butt. <laughs> I heard it. He, he told me that he pinned you in the offseason one year. Is that true? don't recall ever losing to him. Oh, really? losing him, no. Oh, dang, it was a lie then. He huh? could, I'm not saying it's a lie. He could have beaten me. I don't remember. You would have remembered getting cradled and pinned by a non-ranked guy, though. Probably, yeah, I don't. Definitely not in high school. Oh, Maybe man. when I was a kid. Nate Joza, you dog. Okay, <laughs> what's your favorite sport to watch besides wrestling? Um, probably football. Have you ever considered MMA? I Competing, I mean, in it. Kind of, but my mom made me promise when I was young that I wouldn't go into fighting and I kind of stuck with that. I love I love MMA. That's actually I I like MMA more than football. Okay. But uh, yeah, I didn't even think of that. But yeah, I I thought about it. But like I said, my my mom and my wife would not be happy about that. Right. Understood. When you have a family, it's a hard thing to yeah. go sign. And up I'd have for. to cut weight again, and I'm not, going, <laughs> I'm not going back to that. Who's the most talented wrestler in the IHSA right now? Um. Uh, it's hard for me to say. I got club kids that I think are really good. You know, I might uh-huh. have some bias. I think my nephew Phoenix Blakely is really talented. Markel Baker is one of my guys. He's going to Division One. He's really talented. Um, outside of my club, I really like Webster from Washington and uh, Davino from St. Charles East. I think those two are they're going to be national champs, I think, someday. Potentially Division an one. awkward question here. Who do you think the best IHSA wrestler of all time is? Ah, man. Probably Joe Williams. Joe Williams, really? Joe Williams or TJ Williams. Just, yeah, those guys are freaks. Joe Williams was 159 and 1. I got to put my good friend growing up, Bryce Brill, who most people forgot about Mount Carmel stud. Oh, he had a great career at Northwestern, then he had to quit for some reason. Well, he didn't even really get started. He had a really bad neck injury. Um, But people don't realize, like, he was beating Ashnault, Nolf, Rutherford, he was beating those guys consistently in high school and didn't get a chance to wrestle collegiately. So he's right up there, too. Dang, yeah. Great guy. That guy was a stud, Oh, man. Bryce is awesome, yeah. Biggest pet peeve in coaching? You're supposed to be rapid fire, yeah, man. Yeah, man, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, I try not to focus on other people's coaching too much. but Maybe biggest pet peeve in general? Man, I don't, it's hard. I don't. <laughs> I'm That's struggling fair. on that one. I'm gonna pass. Okay, fine. Proudest moment in your personal career, and then in your coaching career. Um, probably having my son. Just as probably in my personal life, my coaching career. You said. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, my nephew Maddox Blakely won IHSA state as a senior. He'd been close a couple times, and he came through the hardest one A bracket by far. He had the hardest draw. Um, beat some really good guys on the way there, and were you you were down there? He had yeah. some exciting matches that were down to the wire. He ended up winning it. That's probably probably one of my proudest. And then the other one would probably be uh, our girl Cadence Didick. Um, she won Fargo, and she's a very deserving kid, and I love her to death. So I was really proud of her. Awesome yeah. man, awesome, awesome. And last question here, Josh Elber, what's the meaning of life? Meaning of life, oh. I thought Can't ra- pass. rapid fire is that's, that's, <laughs> that's not the really last a, one. That's a deep question. Uh, last one. Meaning of life. You know, do God's will. I think 
to do God's will. You're going to get pulled to do other things and to get away from God's will. And if you can stick to it, there's another life coming after this life. And um, this life's in preparation or a test to get to that one. And and I think that's uh, the best we can do. Right, right. Great answer. And that one that you're talking about that comes after lasts a lot longer too. So it's pretty important. Yeah, it's... Uh, should be a guiding factor in our lives, I think, so it's very important. Right. Well, Josh Albert, you got to get out of here. Thank you so much for your time, man. That was a great conversation. Best of luck in the future. you got a lot of things going for you, and I can't wait to watch what unfolds. Yeah, I appreciate you know having me on. Um, hopefully I don't bore anyone, and I just, uh, man, I, I had a lot of fun with you, and you do a great job with this podcast, so thank you. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that, and before we go... Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to The Paul Garcia Show. If you like this episode, subscribe on YouTube, like my page on Facebook, and maybe even follow me on Instagram. But most importantly, share this episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to support the show financially, consider making a one-time donation on Venmo to username The Paul Garcia Show. And if you'd like to support this show and gain exclusive access to early or to every episode like this one, become a patron on patreon.com forward slash Paul Garcia. Until next Sunday, I'm Paul Garcia. God bless and have a great week and thank you again, Josh. Thanks. Absolutely.